G'day, everybody. Welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. I have the pleasure of introducing you to a man that's come from the credit markets who's involved in Bitcoin and also energy. So this is going to no doubt be a very fascinating conversation. Given what we've learned from uh, Mr. Elon Musk and what he's been saying, we're going to cut into some of the realities. And uh, Greg Foss from Canada uh, is going to be the one who's going to help us with that. So thank you so much for your time today, Greg. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Good day. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. Well, let, let's let's start straight off on your introduction because obviously we were, I want the audience to understand um, who you are, what your background is, and so we can start to really build a bit of faith in what they're about to learn from this conversation. Awesome. Well, thank you again for having me. Uh, so what am I? I'm, a, I'm an engineer uh, in undergrad. I, grad, I went to the US for uh, two years of a business school degree and came back to Canada and have spent... Uh, over 25 years trading credit and credit products. Um, I was Canada's first high yield bond trader. Okay. Uh, trading with uh, principal, which means I was trading my own book, my own risk. I was working for a bank, but uh, we were facilitating flows for clients. Most of the clients were in the U S so when you trade high yield anywhere in the world, it generally goes through New York. Um, so even though you're located in Canada, I have worked on Bay Street in Canada and Wall Street in New York, but my counterparties are usually U.S., whether they're uh, buyers, buy side or sell side U.S. Um, and I have also worked on the hedge fund side in Canada uh, during the great financial crisis. Uh, we successfully nav- navigated that uh, uh, very scary situation. Uh, credit, it's all about credit. It always is all about credit. Everyone thinks equity markets are important. Equity markets are not important. If you don't understand credit markets, you are missing the 90% of the risk uh, and and the detail that goes into evaluating risk. So I'm a credit guy. Um, You know, I, I spent 25 years trading it. I still trade it, but not professionally. I trade it for my own account and I'm involved in now in the energy space. So full circle, I've come back from, from my, I went from engineering into financial engineering and trading and managing risk, trading risk. And now I'm back to the, uh, the engineering side with the energy, uh, the energy play. So yes, I'm a Bitcoiner. Um, I'm an engineer and I believe Bitcoin's the best asymmetric trade I have seen in my 30 years of managing risk. And that's what I want to touch on as well, because what you told me before uh, I want to touch on because it's going to blow some minds and I want to uh-huh. get to the bottom of it as well. So you've come from credit, you're an engineer, you've come back around full circle, and now you're in the energy markets. Of course, with you being in Bitcoin, you will be all too familiar with the recent uh, proclamation from uh, Elon Musk and the whole Tesla situation about, oh, we don't want to accept Bitcoin anymore yeah. because of the energy consumption and the footprint, uh, the negative footprint for the commu- oh, sorry for the globe towards yes. global warming that it has. And in the meantime, yes. he's sitting there chirping about a dog meme. But anyway, <laughs> back to the Bitcoin thing. Is what he's saying here factual for today's uh, Bitcoin mining? Is it that bad as no, it stands? Sir. No, sir. So let's just look at some real statistics. Um, Bitcoin uses less than one-tenth of 1% of total global energy, okay? One-tenth of 1%. 
Now that includes all energy. It doesn't just focus on electricity. So if we take that one step further and say, okay, what does it use of the electricity component of energy? It's about 50 basis points. Now, either way, you have to understand that if Bitcoin is consuming this much energy, there's 99.9% of the rest of the world that's consuming the balance, okay? So 10 basis points is not zero, but the proof of work function requires uh, requires the computation and that requires electricity or energy to prove to secure the network very simply so there is a a cost yes it's an energy cost but it's 10 basis points and if you're going to focus on that 10 basis points you better not be as hypocritical as mr musk is because you think every electron or electric vehicle that he charges is used not using some component of dirty energy like electrons aren't, aren't that smart. The grid is powered by nuclear. It's powered by hydroelectric. It's powered by natural gas. It's powered by coal. You can't and decide which one you want. <laughs> well, you, well, you can't. You can't. If when you're sitting there charging your, uh, your Tesla, hey, some of it's coming from coal. It's just the way it works. Okay. So don't be hypocritical. Understand that Bitcoin uses 10% of energy production or 50% of electricity production. Now of that, a lot of it is actually clean energy. And I'm involved in a company that actually is using waste natural gas to power Bitcoin miners, capture the carbon and clean the environment. Okay, so of that 10 basis points, not all of it is coal, (laughs) okay? Not all of it is this horrible thing that, oh, by the way, listen, you know, Every single human increase in productivity comes with more uh, or with an increase in energy productivity, okay? That's just the way human civilization works. So to turn on a dime and say every single way of of fossil fuel generating uh, electricity or power is wrong, there's some very short-sighted people out there. Um, You know, 90% of global energy production comes from fossil fuels, just because you get it from electricity. How do you think that That's electricity is, you know, so, so we got to look at it. I'm a numbers guy. I'm an engineer. He is wrong in his accusation. It's like saying, Hey, yeah, I can, I can, I'm okay with the 99.9%, the other 99.9%. I'm going to focus on this 10 basis points. Yeah. I mean, come on guys who really made him do it. He didn't do it. It's well, some big shareholder. It's a large shareholder from a BlackRock or a ESG compliant shareholder that said, Elon, I'm not going to hold your Tesla stock unless you take a stand on Bitcoin. It's very simple. That's the way wor- the world works. Okay. Yep. And so Elon took that stand. I don't even want to talk about, uh, you know, the meme coin. Uh, he's wrong on that as well. Uh, we're not, we're not a, a Bitcoin right now as a base layer is focused on store of value. There will be a time when it will become a currency and we don't need to compete with the PayPal's of the world right now or the visas. We're competing as a store of value. Why? Because every single fiat currency in the world is programmed to debase. And why is that? Because they have reached debt capacity where it's impossible for them to even grow their way out of the burden it is caused by the interest coupon, let alone all this debt that they are add, adding to the, to, the, to the mix. So look, guys, ladies and gentlemen, it's 
Very simple. All right. Fiat's are okay as a currency so that you don't have to worry about barter. You can actually con- uh, you facilitate trade using a fiat currency, but understand, do not store your money yeah. or your, excuse me, do not store your value in a fiat currency. Okay. Fiat currencies mathematically a hundred percent certain to debase. That's a cost and always money or Money has always been a technology, okay, for storing the value of the time or the work or the energy that you expend today for consumption in the future. That's why you work, but you don't work for something that's going to lose its value over time so that in 30 years when you need it, it's worth like one fifth of the value as when you, you need to put your value of your energy or time into something that will maintain its value. And that's what Bitcoin is. I find so it you'll have sorry. Go so ahead. I, say, I find it really interesting just to sort of double back on that uh, a very important point that that you made um, that lots of people have been speaking of, which is somebody told Elon, "Do this." Um, I mean, when you look at the realities of again, just going back to that energy consumption side of things, it's kind of like mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, I think Bitcoin's great, but that's sat that that multiple that that Satoshi number right there." That's a really bad one. That yeah. one's the wrong one. I mean, it, 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 a, a Tesla mines lithium. Oh, lithium yeah. oh, digs could, out yeah. of the ground. Now, lithium, yeah. you don't just go, oh, I've got some. You yeah. dig it with diesel-powered machines. Oh, yeah. Same with aluminium or, as the Americans call it, aluminum. But there is an <laughs> I before the UNM, so it's aluminium. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> aluminium. I'll aluminium. That. Yeah. So it, it's my my big shout last week, and I did a big, uh, if you haven't seen it, guys uh, guys and girls that are listening and seeing this, it's on YouTube. I, I think it's called Elon Musk is a Hypocrite. Um, okay. I really go into that detail around just the pure insanity of it. Now, you're saying that uh, out of the very small amount of energy that's actually used to mine Bitcoin, there's also a, a lot, you know, a percentage of that that is, a clean energy and for for an industry that's only 10 years 11 years old uh-huh. there's so many leaps and bounds that are being made in a positive way to bring that further lower now i'm interested in again what you're doing at the moment the company that you're working with because from my understanding you're taking a waste energy that would normally go and disappear and you're turning that then into energy and mining bitcoin or having bitcoin miners mine with that energy that you create can you explain a little bit about that for us mate sure well that's uh let, let's let's hit a couple of uh things that you said before that sure um the key is uh understanding the component of uh of, of uh what's possible with waste energy you said well it just goes it doesn't just go you flare when you're when you drill for oil a byproduct of drilling for oil is natural gas and a lot of this natural gas is dirty natural gas it's got butane in it so natural gas is methane clean natural gas or um uh you know what they what they would call uh uh worth worth collecting in a pipeline okay sweet natural gas is ch4 if you remember your chemistry ch4 when you burn it okay it turns into energy plus carbon dioxide, plus uh, water, okay? Um, but if you don't collect it, 
and you just let CH4 without burning it go into the atmosphere because it's a byproduct of oil. And, and there's a ton of natural gas in the world, but people want the oil rather than the natural gas generally, because it's, it's easier to, uh, to collect oil and, and pipe oil than it is to collect natural gas. If you just burn or flare that, it creates carbon dioxide that, that creates acid rain. Or if you don't flare it, you just vent it it goes right to the ozone and pokes holes in the ozone. Okay. So this is a damaging byproduct of drilling for oil. A lot of people, you know, there's a lot of natural gas collection systems that uh, try and collect it, but a lot of this natural gas is also dirty and it doesn't pay to collect it. You can't clean it easily, but they still flare it. Okay. And if they flare this, there are uh, costs to the environment. I don't know if you've ever been to an oil field where they are flaring a lot of natural gas. My God, it's, it's, it's destruction. You look, it, it, it seems like the moon. There's no greenery around. There's, it's acid rain uh, killing everything. Um, you can take that, by, that uh, dirty natural gas. You can wheel in, and this is the product that we offer with Validus Power. Okay, we wheel in an 18 wheel trailer truck with a jet engine in the trailer. Okay, literally a jet engine. It's a 35 megawatt generator. And instead of running on jet fuel, we hook it up to the dirty natural gas that's being uh, vented or burned. We clean the natural gas because you don't want to gum up your, uh, your engine. So you run it through a fuel conditioner. You run it through your uh, jet engine and you, instead of creating, um, you know, flying a jet, you're turning a turbine and creating electricity and mining Bitcoin. Okay. So you're creating a revenue stream from an otherwise wasted energy resource. But not only that, you're cleaning the environment, okay? Yeah. Because we're collecting the CO2, the carbon dioxide. We're taking the energy out of the of the system and converting it into digital energy because that's what Bitcoin is. It's digital energy. So the neat thing hap- it is that if you do this at a place that's close to the grid, let's say you can hook this up to the electricity grid and there's an op- opportunity to sell that power back to the grid when the grid needs it, and people that understand how electricity grids work understand that grids are built for capacity, but generally those electricity grids are only operating at about 60% of capacity, okay? And so when the grid needs more power, though, instead of mining Bitcoin, you could flip a switch and you could stabilize the grid. You could avoid situations like happened in Texas, where the grid became overloaded, brownouts were occurring, there were people, there are people that died in Texas, right? They froze to death. You don't hear that much about it. There wasn't thousands of people, but there were, if I'm not mistaken, tens or hundreds of people. This is unacceptable in, in, a, in a situation where you have these energy resources that could be sold back to the grid. And that's but, what we could do. I mean, this, this is, to me, this is astounding. It's, it's staggering. Is this... Um... Is this a new technology that, that, that you guys have come up with or this company you're working with? What was it called again? Via Energy, was it? V- Validus, Validus, V-A-L-I-D-U-S, power.com. You can see that you'll actually see this uh, on the webpage. You'll see this beautiful uh, trailer train that can be set up in six hours at any source of energy. So, so you could drive actually- it in and 
you could, if you if you took it off a natural gas pipeline, for example, because that's where the pipe is, uh, you know, they've collected all the gas for you, or you can take it to a field where they're venting it. Energy is energy, right? Um, so that's validuspower.com. It's a beautiful uh, engineering feat. We've tested it for four years, okay, in the fields in the Permian Basin in Texas. We've tested it. The cleansing is a key component. These these engines cost about a million dollars a megawatt. Okay, so this is a $35 million jet engine that you're wheeling in. You're not going to do it with dirty gas like butane. You need to t- take that those contaminants out and run clean, uh, sweet natural gas through. Now, if, for example, though, stick with me for a sec, Craig, mm-hmm. the grid in, in, in Ontario, Canada, the province I live in, is at capacity already. But there's lots of industry that wants to grow and they need electricity to grow. Well, if the grid's at capacity, meaning all the transmission lines are full and to build and other transmission lines are very difficult, very expensive, it takes time. Rather than building electricity transmission lines, how about if we wheel in these solutions, put them next to a greenhouse that needs uh, heating in the wintertime, yep. These greenhouses are expanding all over Southern Ontario because we've just uh, uh, deregulated cannabis, but these are also tomato growing and cucumber growing regions for the entire North American supply for Walmart, not just Canada, entire North American supply. This is a portion. This is an interesting thing that a lot of global people around the globe, the most Southern part of Southern Ontario. So the absolute Southern portion of Southern Ontario is further South than the border of North Northern California. So everyone thinks of Canada as just being a snow belt. Well, most of our country is, but the southernmost portion, which is very fertile land, mm. is a place called Leamington, Ontario. It's actually more south than the Northern California border. Okay. They compete with Northern California in the in the in the growing of very uh, important crops. Now that area is at capacity, the grid cannot provide it any more capacity for their greenhouses that they that they use in the wintertime. Well, how about we wheel in one of our machines? It heats the greenhouses in the wintertime, but in the summertime, when it don't need the heat, it mines Bitcoin. It and runs a off a tiny bit of gas. time when the grid overflows, you shoot it back to the grid, right? That, you're not allowed to do that in Ontario. You ah. can do that in Alberta, but it's coming where Ontario will, will pay you for peak, for, for peak capacity. But yes, in the ideal world, you could flick the switch and send it back to the grid and stabilize the grid in Ontario. In Texas, yes, you can do it. In Alberta, you can do it. So all of this is a component of the good stuff that Bitcoin mining or using energy when energy is available mm-hmm. and not using the energy and using it for another application when it's required in situations like in Texas or in normal situations in the summertime when everyone's running their air conditioner air conditioning. and then the, the grids at, uh, at, at peak capacity. So what, what do you need though? I mean, uh, you, you bring one of these jet engine type devicey things in, does it need to be, you know, next to an oil well does it need to be next to a power plant of some kind no no so it it just has to have well okay so okay let's take it to to an extreme where let's just say that it's not an oil field let's say though it's leamington ontario which in canada we have a natural gas pipeline that runs from west coast to east coast 
with it's a big fat pipe of mega joules, mega joules of natural gas. Okay. Now that natural gas is used for heating and other sources. Um, but let's just say you tap into that huge pipe with a little bit of, uh, you know, you, you pipe, you, you take a pipe, it's one kilometer from Leamington, Ontario. You just extend that pipeline to Leamington, Ontario, and you power your, your, your jet engine Got it. creating electricity. That's, that's the using a, a, a system that's already built. But what about a, a, a situation like the Permian Basin, like, like some, some sites in Canada, Predominantly the Middle East, I'll, I'll point it out, they're the biggest flarers of natural gas in the world. You should be, instead of flaring the natural gas and polluting the environment and wasting that energy, you can be running it through our system and mining Bitcoin. Very simple. Wow. And, and, and you say you've been testing this for four years. So I, I would suggest that that is still relatively new technology, of course, through the testing phase. But I mean, it, it, it appears to me that the world doesn't understand that this exists at this stage, right? Most people don't. Um, Most people don't. Uh, It's easy to blame Bitcoin miners. Uh, Again, we'll get back to it. Yeah, Bitcoin mining, it's causing Texas to crash. Are you guys kidding me? Come on, you just did you fail mathematics or do they need to they do they need to have a pinata that they're going to beat up because they designed an electricity grid that was substandard. Um, Look, always go back to mathematics, math and energy or, or engineering, all the base layer of language is mathematics, right? Every single person in the world knows mathematics. It doesn't matter what your second language is, uh, English, uh, Spanish, French. You all understand the base layer of language was called mathematics. Don't ever read a newspaper, which is the second layer, before you understand your base layer. And if you don't understand mathematics, well, you know, that's a big problem. Uh, but most of the people, most of the world does not understand mathematics. Okay. So let's, let's go down now to the, to the Bitcoin side of this, because from what I understand, you, you sort of started to get into Bitcoin in 2016 and being from, being that you're from the credit markets, obviously, hmm. you know, there's a lot of, I don't think many people understand credit. I don't think many people understand. I mean, here in Australia, I think, I think Canada's had a very similar property market over there in Vancouver and different cities over there as what we have in Australia, which has been, it's just gone bananas. Um, and, you know, we see people that say, oh, low interest rates, how good's that? They still don't even understand that a lower interest rate usually means you're trying to stimulate growth in an economy. So therefore, it's not actually that strong. It's more of a sign of potential issues. That very small little detail there that most people don't understand. Of course, you take that, uh, um, you know, built a career around that, understand it more than anything else. And you're in Bitcoin, which is very interesting to me, uh, a credit trader who's in Bitcoin. What are you seeing for Bitcoin? And, and, and why is this something that you're really into? Uh, so great question. So very quickly, um, my first job after MBA in the US, I came back to Canada. I worked for Canada's largest financial institution called Royal Bank of Canada. Royal Bank of Canada was insolvent when I, when I started working for it. In 1988, one of the first projects I worked on, I was working directly for the CFO, was the Brady Bonds. Now, most of your listeners are going to be too young to remember what Brady Bonds are. I'm 57 years old. Brady Bonds were a solution for Latin American and lesser developed country debt that had defaulted. And the banks didn't want to have to write them down. Because if the banks did write these loans down, they would have exhausted their book value of equity. 
they would have been insolvent. That's the definition of insolvency. All right. Um, the Royal Bank of Canada was insolvent because of loans made predominantly to Brazil and Mexico. Um, but Royal Bank of Canada was not alone. So were all the money center banks in the U.S. I would bet you Royal Bank of Scotland. And I don't, I'm, I'm afraid I don't know the biggest bank in, uh, in, in, in Australia, but I'm almost positive. Actually, I do. If you named it, I would remember it. But Commonwealth the, Bank. Is it? I, okay, I was thinking of another one. But at the end of the day, 100%, the global money, the global banking system was insolvent. So the solution was, a, uh, a proposed by Treasury Secretary Nicholas Brady. It was called the Brady Plan, where they changed these defaulted twenty uh, uh, five-year loans into twenty-five. Excuse me, into thirty-year obligations, backed by U.S. Treasury zero-coupon bonds. Therefore, they would mature at par. <laughs> okay, yeah. so the banks never had to write this down. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty, this is financial gimmickry. This is this, you know, you don't go through MBA school and then realize that the banking system's uh, insolvent. This is pretty, this is garbage. Uh, What is the, this is a Ponzi. The fiat is a Ponzi. Mm. How do banks then attract depositor money? Because that's what a loan is. When you make a loan, the bank has four cents on the dollar at risk. And the other 96 cents is depositor money and subordinate debt. Okay. What a talk about a risky business. How many loans don't change value by 4% over their life? You know, well, that's what banking is. So I said, how is this possible? How does this system exist like this? Well, it's basically the banking system. The confidence of the people believe that the banks are too big to fail and the governments will always bail them out, which is true. So how do the governments bail out the banks? The ability to print money. Yeah. Very simple. So since 1988, I, I was questioning the system. I lived through the long-term capital crisis, 1998. I lived through, which was again, too much leverage in the system and a bailout by the feds for the Wall Street cronies, socialized losses to the Wall Street cronies. 2008 or 2007, 2008, 2009 was, oh my God, mm-hmm. that was the real deal. Okay, that great financial crisis was leverage coming out of the system, but too much leverage, socialized losses. They let one bank fail, Lehman Brothers, and it almost brought the whole world to a standstill. Um, what did they effectively do in 2008, 2009 is transfer the leverage of the banking system to the, to the balance sheets of the governments yeah, okay and the central banks and now it is there's no one else to transfer that risk to uh fiats are as big up well not as big up they are the biggest ponzi i've ever seen now because in 1988 they were a bit of a ponzi and now they are just categorically the ponzi of all ponzis but you need to understand they exist because that's how capitalism works mm. capitalism is all about leverage okay that and and don't misunderstand it can continue to go as long as they continue to print money because they fiat currency is basically the error term that allows this to continue as long as they continue to be able to print money they'll be able to continue to uh, satisfy the debt equation that they can't grow themselves out of their debt it's impossible the global gdp will never be able to keep pace with the growth the organic growth of the debt so they just have to keep printing more money. If we accept that, we need to know what those risks are. And it's not that G7 countries fail on a regular basis, but I'll tell you, 
Argentina has failed three times in my life. Okay. And it's a G20 country. Yeah. You need to be aware of these risks and the contagion that it causes because there's no one else to pass the buck to. We're at the, the, you know, we are at the limit. The governments are at their limit. They've ex- they never paid back the 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 leverage that they uh, or or the uh, the debt that they incurred to rescue the financial system. They just kept printing more money, and that's why you need a Bitcoin. You need a Bitcoin as a store of value versus a fiat currency, which facilitates trade. That fiat currency, though, is becoming more and more and more risky. And I did a calculation based on the credit default swap market that shows me that Bitcoin today is worth over $110,000 a coin US. And that number is only going to get go higher. But as an intrinsic value in Bitcoin today, I can show you mathematically that I believe Bitcoin's worth over 110,000 US today. That so number- will- on the market value, what, what today is, by the way, is in my country, the 19th of, uh, of May. And in your yeah. country- the 18th of May. It still is but the that- 18th, and it's it's around half price, half of its intrinsic value by my calculations. Now that's the that's that's my methodology. It's one model. Um, I will tell you that I believe it's extremely cheap. I will also tell you that I believe it can go substantially higher than just my model because that model is a dynamic model. It changes as the credit, as the default probability of sovereign credits increases, increases. the value of my Bitcoin or the methodology of my valuation of Bitcoin increases as well. Well, it's not hard for anybody who understands a simple concept of supply and demand. Uh, we know there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin. We know yes. about three to four million are lost, right? So yes. it yeah. gives us a very small number to really be playing with here. We know that the uh, the printing of money is, I mean, if you want to look at a Ponzi scheme scam coin um if you want to look at doge essentially what you've got in doge coin is what you've got in fiat currency because they just keep on minting more and more and more and more and more the supply mm-hmm. keeps on growing and if we can educate enough people and i think we are seeing a lot more people become educated and going into bitcoin and the acceptance of bitcoin we're just going to see that price increase and that understanding shift away from the risk of feed into bitcoin now a question i also have here i know Gold isn't really your market, but it is a product mm-hmm. of credit markets. It's a store of value, right? It's, it's a traditional store of value. We've seen gold really struggling with $2,000. It's been sitting up around that. Mm-hmm. And it's a high price for gold, right? It's a very good price, uh, okay. but it's hell, which as a store of value, yeah, it's, it's doing its job. Do you think that a lot of the gold bugs and people that may have gone into gold whilst understanding and learning about uh, what we've been through lately, which is the coronavirus, shutting everything down, um, uh-huh. ruining businesses whilst printing money, whilst more excuses to print more money, more more stimulus is needed. It's just really snowballed uh, an already broken, fractured system and, and made it sort of come to the point of potential collapse a lot faster. Do you think that people are not going to gold and going into Bitcoin? We've got over a trillion dollars now in Bitcoin that could be sitting over there in gold. Now, that would have pushed the price of gold through $2,000. Do you think gold bugs are starting to understand they need some exposure to Bitcoin as well? I, I do, actually. I think, uh, you know, uh, personally, I, I've owned gold. Um, I still own a little, but uh, my weighting to Bitcoin is far higher. Uh, as Paul Tudor Jones says, uh, look, you're at the horse race. You understand that, that you want to bet on a horse. 
but you might as well bet on the fastest horse though. Okay. And the fastest horse is Bitcoin. It's, it's divisible. It's portable. It's transferable. It's verifiable. It is everything that uh, some of the challenges of gold, it's fixed supply. Gold is not fixed. Okay. It grows at about 2% per year supply, but I like to throw this little tidbit at, out. Did you know there's 20,000 pounds of gold in seawater? And if our, we're pretty smart as a civilization, we can probably figure out how to get that gold out of seawater. Uh, we know how to do it right now. It's just very, very environmentally unfriendly, a lot of arsenic and all that. The point is, though, look, Bitcoin is a fixed supply. Yeah, if we've lost a few, let's just even use that 21 million yeah. fixed supply. I'll, I'll, I'll run through a mathematical equation as to why I think that 21 million uh, or or each coin is going to be worth over $2 million a coin in my lifetime. Um, you know, I won't tell you how long I think I'm going to live, but if it's not my lifetime, it'll be my kid's lifetime. Okay. So I do value gold as a store of value, but it's just nowhere near as good a store of value as uh, Bitcoin is. And yes, some of that, uh, some of the people that understand the challenges to the fiat system who were gold bugs are doing the right thing. And they're saying, Hey, I should diversify. I'm at the race. I bet on horse number three, but you know what? I'm going to go for horse number one, the best horse in the race. And it's tough for them. And it's really tough for other gold bugs that just don't want to admit that their business could be jeopardized. So we hear from people like Peter Schiff, that probably is smart enough to understand the math, but is so conflicted or hypocritical that he's providing horrible investment advice to all of his listeners. Um, and you'd have, that's to, you'd not- have to admit that he was wrong. And I don't think he's got the capacity to do that. So then he's a horrible trader, right? Because any trader who doesn't have the capacity to admit they are wrong gets wheeled off the floor yep. because you die on the sword, okay? And that's not how you go about managing risk in your life. If you realize you've made the wrong bet, you better reverse that bet really quickly and make amends or else you're just going to lose the game. And that's what markets do to you. So, um, you know, he, he, he has a pretty big investor base, but his performance has been horrendous. I don't want to even talk about Peter Schiff. Let's just go back to where Bitcoin can go as a value. And this is important because you said gold. Well, gold is still minuscule in the context of the whole global financial system as well. Yeah. Okay, so the total global financial assets are 900 trillion US dollars. That's all the value of all assets around the world. That includes all debt. It includes real estate. Okay. Total global debt's about $400 trillion. Okay. Total gold is 10 trillion. Yeah. Anyone who owns bonds right now needs their head examined. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) We shouldn't be worried about gold at 10 trillion. We should be looking at 400 trillion, something that's 40 times the size of gold with Mm. negative yielding debt. Okay, there's something like there's still over $15 trillion of negative yielding debt in the world. Hey, guess what? If you own an asset that is negative yielding, it's not an asset, guys. You have it on the wrong side of your little account. It's actually a liability. (laughs) It's a liability. So stop this fucking around. Okay, it's a liability. It's not an asset. So let's use that 900 trillion because I know we're getting to the end of your show. 900 trillion. I do believe that Bitcoin will become the reserve asset of the world. Why? Because I think energy will someday be priced in Bitcoin. And I think it'll happen soon because you have the rushes of the world that are receiving depreciating U.S. dollars for their valuable natural resources. And they hold U.S. treasuries. Both are losing propositions. Don't you think they'd rather get paid digital energy for their natural energy? So Mm. I think that oil and natural gas someday will soon or then later will be priced in 
Bitcoin. When that happens, Bitcoin will become the de facto reserve asset of the world. I didn't say currency, I said asset, asset okay? Yeah. All right. Of that $900 trillion under that scenario, how much do you think it's reasonable to expect that Bitcoin could capture 5% of that market? Just 5%. Mm. If it's the reserve asset, I think it's very reasonable. Well, what's 5% of 900 trillion is 45 trillion. What's 45 trillion divided by 21 million? That's over 2 million bucks of Bitcoin. Okay. These are the upside asymmetric returns that I search my entire life for. I'm not giving you 100% certainty this is happening, but I'll tell you it's greater than zero. And if you own zero Bitcoin right now, because you're 100% certain it's going to zero, you're an idiot. Okay. You're playing a probabilities game that you cannot possibly predict. So let's play that game with the idiots though. Okay. So Mr. Idiot, I'm going to give you a 95% chance Bitcoin is worth zero. If you give me a 5% chance. That it's worth 2 million. It's it's worth 2 million. Okay. Well, what is the expected value of that binary distribution? Binary means there's only two outcomes when in reality, it's a continuous distribution and you need to do, but of that binary distribution, 95% times zero is zero and 5% times 200, excuse me, times 2 million is $100,000 a coin today. Okay. Don't mess around with probabilities and expected value, everybody. Or when I say don't mess around, do the probabilities and expected value and realize this is a unbelievable opportunity that you should have at least greater than zero exposure in your portfolio for Bitcoin. It's very simple. If you don't understand this, you probably failed grade 11 math. And if you failed grade 11 math, you shouldn't be managing your own money. And if your portfolio manager doesn't understand this math, find one that does understand this math. Okay. Cause it's about as simple as it gets. It's the best asymmetric trade I have ever seen in 30 years. And I can't guarantee you of the outcome, but I'll just tell you, you better not be own zero of it. Because if it does come true, well, your generational wealth has been lost because you yeah, have been yeah. too thick to actually and too intellectually lazy. And you listen to old people like Charlie Munger, who's so conflicted, by the way, with his banking exposure and his renewable energy exposure, that's actually very dirty. Okay. All of Berkshire Hathaway's renewable energy projects, they're bogus. Okay. They're actually so, well, how about we don't go there? Uh, I'll just tell you, don't be intellectually lazy. You need to do your own work. Well, you look look at Berkshire, right? And, and I mean, I love the quote that I've seen. um, What's he say? says something on the lines of, of course I'm disappointed by or infuriated by the success of Bitcoin. Yeah, because he's not long Bitcoin. Yes. He's long everything else that's, uh, that stands against what we're trying to achieve and Correct. what this, what this environment is trying to achieve. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, go to, um, you go to a reptile park and talk about lions. They're going to go, why are you talking to me about lions? We've we got crocodiles and snakes and all sorts of cool shit. You want to talk about lions? Yeah. Go to the zoo, you dickhead. That's where you talk about lions. Go to a lion show. Don't okay. ask me. I don't know. And, and that's what we're seeing at Berkshire. And, and across not all financial institutions, because we are seeing a lot of them start to twist and turn. And, and, it's, so and minuscule. it's so minuscule. It's so minuscule. When it's an investment like- bank, it's obvious. If they can oh, yeah. make a dollar, <laughs> they will sell you something. If they can't make a dollar, then it's bad. 
It is well, that easy. How about this though? The smart investment banks that realize that they will be disintermediated by this and are making, uh, doing the right thing. So NIDIG is a uh, North American, uh, 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 we'll call it an asset manager, uh, but they stand for New York Digital Investment Group. Okay. NYDIG. Yep. They uh, are run by this uh, very smart ex Goldman Sachs guy by the name of Ross Stevens. So Ross Stevens, uh, uh, did a, a funding and maybe in Australia, you guys already know this, but let me repeat it. He tried, he, he went out and raised 200 million bucks. And who did he raise that 200 million bucks of series A or series B funding from? He raised it from New York life, George Soros, mass mutual and Morgan Stanley. Okay. Five. Each one of them put 50 million bucks in. And why did they do that? Cause they were not intellectually lazy, but they were also hedging. Their legacy business with which I believe will be the future of finance, which will be the top of the funnel solutions. After you convert Bitcoin from natural energy to digital energy, you're going to build an entire ecosystem on top of the digital energy platform that is distribution, custody, banking, insurance, everything that the traditional banking system doesn't do that well right now you'll do it way better with Bitcoin. And you know, there's only 21 million of them, okay? 21 million Bitcoin, fair value, 110,000 US dollars. Right now, it is at $40,418. If you can do math, you know what you should be doing. Greg, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today in this show. If you've only jumped in now, then what we've covered is that Elon Musk is being having his strings pulled by somebody else. Uh, he's full of shit. Uh, we've proven the way that we can get energy, um, clean energy, cleaner energy, saving the planet as well as mining Bitcoin. And that company is uh, Validus Valid, Power Validus, Corp. Yeah, Validus yep. Power. V-A-L-I-D-U-S Power Corp that is putting these wonderful, uh, you know, contraptions all, all around the place uh-huh. to uh, to mine Bitcoin and to provide clean energy and give back to the grid. And we've also all listened to Ross, sorry, Foss, Greg Foss, Mr. Foss. Uh, <laughs> we've listened to him <clears throat> break down his background in credit markets and, um, and what that means to Bitcoin and why he can see Bitcoin getting to $2 million. Greg, it's been an absolute pleasure spending some time talking to you. We've gone over time. I don't care because that was interesting as shit. Great show. Appreciate it. If people want to find out more about what you're doing and what uh, Velitis Power Corp, where do they find information on this? Sure. So uh, uh, at Foss, Greg Foss is my Twitter handle. Uh, you can reach out to me. Um, validuspower.com uh, is a, a pretty cool webpage where you, where you see a, a drone flyover of these uh, beautiful uh, uh, mechanical engineering solutions. Um, uh, and uh, I'll just tell you, look, um, this is coming to any, any energy uh, conscious community because this isn't just about Bitcoin. This is about future generations, our children that need these solutions because politicians have proven that they don't have the discipline to, uh, to live by their financial commitments. One final thing. Did you know when Janet Yellen said, well, if we have to exceed our debt ceiling, uh, we can use extraordinary measures. And then she goes, but they're actually not that extraordinary because we have made them ordinary. We go out and 
break our debt ceiling all the time. So she says, okay, we can use it, invoke extraordinary measures that actually aren't that extraordinary. So I went back and checked and the U.S. has exceeded its debt ceiling limitation, which was law, 78 times since 1960. Is that who you want managing your finances? Someone who continually breaks the limits that they set for their government borrowing? I don't think so. You need to take control of your future, place it in the hands of a decentralized protocol and actually understand the laws of conservation of energy. That's what Bitcoin is. Well, Greg, you've put it very, very well, mate. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. You're going to have a lot of people that are sitting back listening to this cheering you on uh, and cheering on what we're doing with Bitcoin. And, um, you know, if people need education, that's the reason why I speak to people like you. So thanks so much for your time being up late at night over there in uh, in Canada. I appreciate it. And I look forward to speaking to you again in the future. I look forward to it, guys. Thank you. We love Australia. We love Aussie rules football. We love rugby. We love all the stuff that you guys are really good at. You guys are great swimmers, but I think we can take you in hockey. I'm not sure we can take you in anything else, but we can take you in hockey. All right. Probably so, the hockey uh, side, maybe not the punch up side. Uh, we'll, we'll go from there. It would be, you guys would be un- unbelievable hockey players. If you bought those Aussie rule uh, football guys on the brutality of hockey, the physicality. Yeah, yeah. We just don't have any ice here, mate. We struggle on that part. Well, it's a great it's it's a great uh, to talk to you guys on the other side of the world, and we share a lot of common uh, bonds. We want the world to be a better place. That's yeah. very simple. We are not about getting rich for ourselves all the time. This is about for the kids. And uh, thanks for listening and uh, having me. It was a pleasure, Craig. Legend, mate. Speak to you again soon. Hey, everybody. Thank you. Thank Bye you. For now. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.